Blog Talk Radio. From Light in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. Uh, Glad to have you with me again for the next 45 minutes as we talk about any variety of topics related to trying to parent a child with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach. Um, Only this program and next week's remain um, until we take the summer off. Yes, I know, parents can't take the summer off, but um, on this program, well, um, we do. But we'll be back again in September um, with more of the same and a bunch of other stuff that we're going to be doing uh, beginning next school year to try to help even more. That's, after all, what Lives in the Balance is for, free no-cost, web-based dissemination of the collaborative problem-solving approach and advocating on behalf of kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and their parents and teachers and other caregivers. Um, But most of all, these are your 45 minutes. So um, you are always free to call in to ask any questions that you have about your own challenging child, uh, that call-in number is 347-994-2981. Got something you want to comment on, a question you want to ask, need some support with something, um, there's the phone number, 347-994-2981. Or um, always feel free to just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. As I always say, if you're not the calling-in type, feel free to... uh, send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website, and that's www.livesinthebalance.org. As I always say, callers take priority on this program, so while I have numerous emails that I may or may not get to today, um, we're going to start with a caller first. So let's jump right in. Uh, From area code 917, caller, you're on the air. Uh, What's on your mind today? Uh, Hello, Dr. Green. Um, I sent you an email a little while ago, which was a follow-up to an email some months ago. Uh, The subject this time is, um, when every uh, good faith attempt at Plan B yields the answer, please change the subject, Mom. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more. I I, I think I saw your email, but I think it was um, right before the program that I saw it, so I don't... I think I read it, but okay. uh, people okay. who are listening um, will definitely not have read it. Give us a little background. 
Okay, in brief, uh, we have a very, very bright and vivacious uh, seven-year-old girl who has been um, out-of-the-box uh, type of child uh, from the get-go. We knew we were dealing with someone uh, with a strong will and that this is who she is. And um, she's one of these kids who is absolutely everybody's well-behaved, darling prize child in school. I mean, even to the point of being too good. Mm-hmm. and after-school activities, but home has always been a different matter. And we've been, um, you know, we've understood this. Uh, the child needs a place to let it all hang out. We accommodate that. We let her have her space. We we validate her feelings. Um, but there are times when um, not every situation can be anticipated, prevented, dealt with. Uh, when we have to say no, uh, when something thwarts her, or we have say no, it could be for safety reasons. More often than not, it's just some undesirable behavior that is just getting in the way of the flow of things. And that, of course, then leads to the inevitable explosion. Um, I guess to cite the most recent and most troubling example, because we really do have a handle on being proactive with a lot of things, and that really does work, Um uh, my husband has a home office, and she's grown up with this situation, and she knows that. She comes home from school. She says a quick hi to daddy. Uh, more often than not, we have an outside activity, so it's a non-issue. But um, as is the case uh, when, when, when you're in business for yourself, there are sometimes emergency situations or things that necessitate uh, work after after dinner. It's not a constant thing, um, but it does arise from time to time, and uh when dad's not always available when he's supposed to be available, she will seek negative attention. At that point, she's not interested in interacting with me and any distraction, amusement, anything I might offer is not as appealing as throwing herself on her dad's papers or otherwise uh, doing something that's antagonistic. So, you know, we deal with the situation emergently, and then maybe the next day on our way to school, I'll say, you know, I'll I'll attempt the plan B. I notice that, you know, blah, 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 and then she says, please change the subject. Am I still connected? Got it. Yeah, sorry. No, you're still connected. Um, And um, I just sort of will say, I'm just trying to offer you some space to share your feelings. Um. We can work on this together. We all like to be together in the evening when, you know, it can go smooth. I don't know. I try not to be judgmental about it and just say, well, what can we do to make things better? Please change the subject. And and I just don't know where to go from there. Well, um, please change the subject would be in the same category as things like, um, I don't know, or I don't want to talk about it right now, or um, why are you bugging me? Or, you know, there's there's many things that a kid can say that can feel like the end of the conversation. Right. Um, and so I would say that that's one of them. I don't, um, let's change the subject. That, that sort of probably comes closest to I don't want to talk about it right now, which is kind of what that's, she's saying. Yes, that's what she's saying. I don't want to talk about ever. it right now, but it's really like I don't want to talk about it ever. She doesn't like well, to be reminded we of the times that she has looked bad. <laughs> Well, and that's, I mean, that's one potential interpretation. But um, here's how I might approach it differently. 
uh, I don't want to talk with you about this. This might be what I would say to her. I don't think this is a good time for us to talk about this because, um, well, see, here's what I've learned about a lot of challenging kids. Even though we're doing proactive plan B, if we spring proactive, and proactive plan B being defined by we're not doing emergency plan B, which is that we're doing it in the heat of the moment. So good for you for trying to be proactive. And yet there are some challenging kids, who, kids in general, who even though we're not trying to talk with them about something in the heat of the moment, are still surprised by the topic and the timing of right. us trying to talk with them about it proactively. So I'd want to rule that one out first. In other words, I'm not positive that it's that she doesn't want to be reminded of a time when she didn't look very good. It might be that this way of doing proactive plan B, which is to, even though we're being proactive about it, to nonetheless be springing the conversation on her. I mm-hmm. might approach it in a variety of different ways, but one possible way to approach it might be, listen, I don't want to talk with you about this right now, but I do want to see if you and I can put our heads together to solve the problem of what we can do if, when you get home from school, daddy's not as available as we'd like him to be. But I don't want to mm-hmm. talk about it right now. I'm just wondering, when would be a good time for us to talk about that? that that's right. what I might do with a kid who is um, likely to get irritated just by the fact that we are raising anything at a time when she's not particularly interested in talking about anything. Right. I'd, I'd, want, to make a, I'd want to make an appointment. So right. have you... Have you tried that, I guess, is the question. Not really. It's it's hard to know when to engage her. I'm really, it's, I, I think I'm the one who's read the book, The Explosive Child. I'm the one who's probed through the website and listened to all the podcasts. And my, my husband just wants the situation to be dealt with. He doesn't see the 360-degree picture of this child that I see. You know, so he's dealing with things emergently most of the time. And for him, it's either plan C, where mom can offer a distraction, but he's saying this has to stop. He's getting outside feedback from his own therapist that, oh, she's trying to rule the roost. Uh, and I'm now, just, now, we're hearing about, now we're hearing about what we might call factors that are interfering with plan B. Right, and I, I think I'm on my own here, although... I think as long as something works, he's willing to go on with it. I have to say, to his credit, he realized quite a while ago that being punitive with our child does not work and only escalates the situation. He has realized that. But so he's, he's, on still, the, he's, on the, he's on the collaborative problem-solving highway. It's just that he's not very far along yet. Yeah, but what's hard is I also, um, he doesn't live with us, but I have a 19-year-old stepson, his child from his uh first marriage who, as it happens, just is one of those docile, compliant children. I recognize it. I was like that myself. And I see something different in our daughter. But, of course, when you have a docile, compliant child, the parent takes all the credit. Oh, of course, it's because of my parenting skills. We always tell our kids, you get what you get and you don't get upset. But that's how it is with the kids and the temperament. And I tell my husband that. You know, this is how she, this is this is how she is in her ability to cope in the heat of the moment with this situation or feeling thwarted. You know, um, and it's just creating a lot of stress for me because I do try and anticipate these situations and 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 head them off at the pass. And 
Most of the time I'm successful, but for the time when a client's cause of his and it's an emergency and he just has to be unavailable, I mean, it, we're just it's just a mess. Well, and the bad news is that emer- a first-time emergent situation, there's some chance that it's going to be a bit of a mess. Right. There's only, there's only one thing first-time emergent situations are really good for, and that's letting you know that there's a problem that needs to be solved proactively before it comes up right. again. That's what first-time emergent unsolved problems are good for. Mm-hmm. What, what's the expression, fool me once, um, shame on me? No, I don't remember the expression. I guess in the collaborative problem-solving territories, it would be emergent, emergent unsolved problem once. Okay, that tells us we've got something to do and to, to proactively to solve it before it happens again. Emergent unsolved, same exact emergent unsolved problem twice, our expression might be, come on, let's get down to it. Um, we need to start solving this problem proactively. So this is what I was thinking as you were telling the story, and you, you deserve a lot of credit for going back to it. But it's interesting, you're basically telling us several different things about what's getting in the way of problem solving. First of all, we have mm-hmm. you doing some proactive plan B. We do have emergent situations that still come up, and the most important thing about those is that they signal to us that there is a proactive plan B that needs to happen. But then another thing that interferes is that our timing on having that proactive plan B discussion may not be the same timing as your daughter, so you have to take into account that and probably make an appointment with her. And then you mentioned another thing that's getting in the way of problem solving in your family, and that is that we have um, your spouse or father who's really not doing this. He's doing some combination, it sounds like, of A and C. Yes. And if we're doing A and C... We've lessened on the A, but there has been, yes, and there has been a history of A until until we were, uh, it was actually our pediatrician who directed us uh, toward your book some time ago. Um, but so long as A and C are predominantly your husband's approach, you're going to find yourself in emergent situations more often than you'd like to be. Yeah. The reality is, yeah. as you were telling the story, you said that there were some things that you had to say no to. And let there be no doubt, although uh, this, this is an undeserved reputation that I have, I'm not allergic to the word no. It's just that right. in, some kids, in some kids you want to use it as sparingly as possible, especially if what you're saying no about is something that could be resolved proactively before right. you have to say no in the first place. Well, like grabbing the broom and swinging it around the light fixture, you know, that's that's, a no. that's, that's one a no. case. Right, that's a but, no. But also, and, you know, getting into the negative attention-getting behavior in the home office setting. The now, see, that's the one thing that you're that's, saying. That's the one thing that you're saying that suggests to me that the switch over to collaborative problem-solving lenses is not yet complete. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Um, but um, it sounds like you have those lenses on a little bit more than your husband does, but it also sounds like sometimes you put the old lenses back on as well. Um, I'd want to figure out under what conditions 
your daughter is doing things that you're calling attention seeking right. and figure out well, what unsolved problems are causing her to act in ways that could be described as attention seeking and then right. we're working well, on the unsolved problems not the attention seeking right well it's almost as though i mean she's a creature of habit and i noticed this a while ago and with other things that were once challenges like bedtime wake-ups i had once written you about that no longer are it Great. was somehow strategically and seamlessly transitioning to a habit and routine that wasn't the bad habit and routine. It's almost as though she goes through, she expects certain reactions and likes to, I don't mean like that she's consciously liking them, but she plays them out and she isn't disturbed by them and this is just how it is. And until we are able to somehow replace one um, pattern of behavior amongst all of us with another, as we have successfully with bedtime, organically almost. Um, these these situations just arise again and again. I mean, not constantly, and they almost surprise you because so many things now go so well amongst all of us. But it, it's just hard. I'm under a lot of pressure. As I said, I'm the one who sees other aspects and when my it's hard and in this economy and supporting a kid in a private university and other pressures sandwich generation type pressures my husband's doing overtime and when he does spend time with her and take her out in the outside world he's just like he he, he sees this magnificent child and he's like why don't we have her like that at home well it says to me that she is magnificent under some conditions and in conditions where there are unsolved problems, she is less magnificent. Right. Um, it just means but I'm saying that it's just in, inevitable that there are going to be times that my husband in his business is going to be unavailable after dinner. I may not know what those times news. are in advance. The good news I just is may not know. That's, that's predictable. It's not predictable by the day and hour. It's predictable that he will on certain occasions and predictable doesn't mean you know with perfect precision precision what hour and day something's going to happen on predictable right. means you know that it's coming that's what predictable right. means right. Right. Okay, that so is here's what you told me I know right. that the day is coming where your husband is not going to be available when your daughter thinks he's going to be and that's going to be hard for her that's right. a proactive that's a proactive plan B waiting to happen even though we don't know what day it's going to be, we do need to have the problem solved and a solution in place for the right. day when it does happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. In fact, let me offer this up to you as maybe I'm on the right track here, although it was a different situation that I can give myself a pat on the back on being proactive. Um, last week, my husband went up state to help his son uh you know, close down the, his dorm room and move from co move back from college. And I thought to myself, uh-oh, you know, there's going to be a change in what is her ironclad bed schedule where we have an apple, we, we read, we make away the bathroom, she, go, she goes and snuggles with Daddy, she comes out, brushes her teeth, and she says a final goodnight to Daddy. He's not going to be there. 
and I was really concerned about what that was. Um, they're, they're, these are just things that she are really ironclad for her. And I told her at school after at dinner, I said, you know, Daddy, Daddy's not here. Um, so I know bedtime's going to be a little different. And then I was able to get my uh, sort of that fun hat on. I said, I know. How about if I pretend to be Daddy tonight? And she thought that was really funny. So while she was brushing her teeth, I ran into bed and grabbed the remote. <laughs> and then I pretended to be Daddy. I said, well, now I have to go be Mommy now. And it really got ridiculous, but it took care of the sort of she got used to, She went to the room, but I don't see how I could possibly do that, pretending to be Daddy at work <laughs> or distracting no, you, her, you know but, what I'm saying? And I would say that that's a great example of being proactive. And it you, worked two yeah. nights in a row because the next night he was coming back, but I knew he wouldn't make it back till after bedtime. And again, I told her, I said, you know, he's probably not going to be back till bedtime. We'll, we'll, I'll pretend to be daddy again. And uh, you'll have him back for real tomorrow. And it worked. It was fine. Bedtime was it worked, as as it it worked on that particular unsolved problem. What we need is a different solution for the what if daddy's not available when we get home for school like right after. It's a pop-up problem. It's, it's a well, pop-up problem, a, but it's just... The interesting thing is, though, I wouldn't call it a pop-up problem. I would call it a yeah. problem that we don't exactly know when it's going to happen. We just know that it is going to happen. That it might ha- that it will happen at some point. It's, yes. it's coming. Yes. It's in your future, in which case we're not solving the problem for tonight like you did with the daddy being out of town issue. We're solving the problem for when it comes up again, because it is going to come mm-hmm. up again. That's what I mean by predictable. I well, do want I to thank you for your call. I hope that all of that helped. It's very helpful, and we'll just have to see when we can have that, that talk that she doesn't want to have. Well, um, I'd schedule it if I was you, just because it sounds like she's the type of kid who doesn't like having it sprung on her. But you know what? If you want to, give it a try this week and give us a call back next week and let us know what happened. All right. Thank you, Dr. Green. You bet. Um, hard is the word. That, that mom used the word hard. The economy is bad. People are busy, and um, you throw a challenging kid into the mix, and something that would be stressful already is greatly magnified. There's no question about the hard part. Let there be no doubt. Um I hope that makes sense about the being proactive part. Um, Many times people get a little confused. They think that the word predictable means that there's a guarantee that challenging behavior will happen on a certain unsolved problem, or we know with perfect precision when the unsolved problem is going to come up again. That's not what's really meant by predictable. Predictable means this is an unsolved problem that we know heightens the likelihood of a challenging episode, even though we're not positive when it's going to come up again. That's predictable. And that still lends itself to proactive plan B. So um, we wish that mom luck on her efforts this week. And of course, she's always Welcome to call back and let us know how it went. Here's an email. Hi, Dr. Green. 
I have a four-year-old son who was recently diagnosed with ADHD and who can be explosive at times. Uh, we uh, saw a child psychiatrist who diagnosed him and a pediatrician who specializes in behaviors, and they both said the same thing. Um, they both recommended the book The Explosive Child. I've been trying to use Plan B, but I find it very difficult to get my four-year-old son to figure out solutions to his problems. All the stories I've read in The Explosive Child so far are based on older kids. One of the problems my son has is staying seated when we are at a restaurant. One solution that my husband and I have come up with is to allow him to watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on my phone. We know that's not really a solution, but it works. Well, it it is a solution, and I'm glad it worked. We've been gradually trying to reduce the use of this, but we don't know how to handle him in a public place when he has one of his outbursts. For example, today, when we went to lunch at a fast food Italian restaurant, my son ate a little bit of pizza and asked if he could watch TV. My husband and I agreed to let him. He got tired of watching it after about 10 minutes, so he decided to go to other empty tables and get these little black menu holders. My husband and I asked him to put them back, and he started throwing the menus around. When I asked him to pick them up, he did. Then he started running around the restaurant and was not listening to either one of us to stop. Once we caught him, I had him sit in his chair so I could talk to him. He started spitting in my face and laughing. I finally just got up and took him to the car. Once in the car, I asked him what was up with his running in the restaurant and throwing things. His response was, I had the wiggles. I asked him what he should do next time he has the wiggles, and he said, I don't know. This happens all the time. He does something. I talk to him about it, and he sometimes has a solution, but most of the time he doesn't. Once he has come up with an answer on how we can fix it, he never uses his solution. It feels like it's like he can't really remember what he's supposed to do if he has the wiggles. All he knows is he needs to move, do anything but think. Um, I know I, I've only been reading the book for a week, and I know it takes time, but I feel like your book really isn't geared to a four-year-old. Uh, another question I have is, do I put him in time out for his behavior at the restaurant? Do I take away the TV for a day of, or him spitting at me and not listening? I don't know what to do. I understand that he can't help the way he acts, but what am I supposed to do? Help. Happy to try. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Um, good for you, first of all, for advocating on your son's behalf and trying to figure out what's getting in his way. Uh, many times people skip that part, and really important to understand what's getting in your son's way because if you don't understand it, it's going to be harder to fix it. So good for you. Good for you for reading The Explosive Child or any book aimed at helping you understand your child better and apply interventions to help try to make things better. Uh, next in your email is the four-year-old issue. Yes, there are. Um, a, there's a lot of dialogue in The Explosive Child. I think I shot for a pretty wide age range there. The interesting thing is chronological age is really not the key issue here. If you're four-year-old son has largely intact communication skills. He's able to communicate in words, able to understand what you're saying. Um, I don't know if his age is going to be the biggest impediment to doing Plan B. 
given what you've described of your son, it might be more the case that him being able to sit there for the conversation might be very hard. Um, be just because it sounds like he's a very busy guy, um, and sometimes doing Plan B is harder for busy guys who have the wiggles. Um, so I don't, I don't know that the four-year-old part is going to be a major issue. To tell you the truth, the dialogue doesn't sound dramatically different with a four-year-old than it does, believe it or not, with an eight- or nine-year-old. I know that sometimes people have trouble believing that, but um, it's true. A lot of the difficulties you're describing that your son is having do sound wiggle-oriented. Trouble staying seated when he's in a restaurant. Um, and I'm glad you all came up with a solution, and I'm glad that it's working. Um, I need to understand why you're trying to reduce the use of a solution that's working. Um, I think if you have a solution that's working, uh, maybe you're not sure that you want him watching a lot of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on your phone, but good that you have a solution that's working. Of course, if that's helping him with the wiggles, you would need to find out another find another solution that would help him with the wiggles if you don't you're not content with the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse solution. Um, the other unsolved problem that you described of him in a public place, him in the pizza restaurant, was him once again having the wiggles, going to empty tables and getting those little black menu holders and um, then running around the restaurant and not listening to either one of you to stop. Well, interestingly, sometimes if a kid is in the midst of having the wiggles, simply being told to stop doesn't necessarily end the wiggling. Um, you caught him. You sat him in his chair. Tough time to talk to him, I would say. That's emergent. That's reactive. I totally understand the instinct. I totally understand you're not wanting to be spit in the face by your son or have him laugh at you. Those are sometimes things who kids who have the wiggles do when they're in the midst of wiggles and are having trouble sitting in a chair to talk. All right. Then you took him to the car. Once we're in the car, you asked him what was up. Still, this is an emergent discussion, by the way. And, and by the way, we also know something about him, and that is that he has the wiggles, and that therefore, apparently sitting still in a restaurant for your son who has the wiggles is extremely difficult. And then he gave us what I would call actually a fairly articulate response. I had the wiggles. Now, we then get to the rest of the conversation. I asked him what he should do next time he has the wiggles, and he said, I don't know. Mm, I wonder if we might be better served by asking not what we should do once he has the wiggles, but rather what we should do so he doesn't get the wiggles, if that's even going to be feasible. But we want to be proactive here. I don't have great interventions for what to do once we are already in the midst of a challenging episode. That's low odds. It's what we do 
before there's a challenging episode so that the challenging episode doesn't occur that is really our focal point. So I believe him. He doesn't know what he should do once he has the wiggles. To tell you the truth, I don't either. The magic of the collaborative problem-solving approach is based on what we do so that the problem is solved so he doesn't get the wiggles in a restaurant in the first place. All right? Let's keep going because your email is loaded with questions, all great questions. Once he's come up with an answer on how we can fix it, he never uses his solution. It's like he can't really remember what he's supposed to do once he has the wiggles. Once again, I think we're going to be much better off. We're going to be much better served. He's going to be much better served if we try to figure out solutions that are aimed at keeping him from getting the wiggles in the first place. I don't know if he's going to be able to implement a solution, whether he remembers it or not. Once he has the wiggles, all he knows is he needs to move, do anything but think. Sounds like a kid with the wiggles to me. Last set of questions. Do I put him in timeout for his behavior at the restaurant? Do I take away the TV for a day because he spat at me and didn't listen? That's your call, and it's a tough call because... um, I fully understand the inclination to teach him the lesson that he can't spit at you or laugh at you. I'm going to extrapolate from your email that he's not spitting at you or laughing at you the vast majority of the time. He's spitting at you and laughing at you when we're trying to get him to sit in a chair so we can talk to him while he's in the middle of having the wiggles. What I'm saying here is that I'm thinking he probably knows he's not supposed to spit at you and that he's not supposed to laugh at you when you're trying to talk with him. But those may be things he ends up doing when he's not thinking, um, when we're trying to talk with him and sit him in a chair when he's in the midst of having the wiggles. Um, would Would I break out in hives if you took away the TV for a day or put him in time out for spitting at you and not listening to you. Uh, one thing I'll say about putting him in time out uh, while he's in the midst of spitting at you and laughing at you, um, it could make things worse. And it's certainly not our goal to make things worse. Should you take away the TV for a day as a way of saying to him, it's really not okay you spitting at me or laughing at me when I was trying to talk to you in the restaurant. You could do that. Um, the big question is, will that fix the real issue, which is that under certain circumstances, especially in restaurants, from what I'm reading in your email, your son has a great deal of difficulty regulating himself and controlling his activity level. Will a timeout during that fix it? Mm -mm. I have my doubts about that. Will taking away TV for a day fix that? Ah, While he's in the midst of having the wiggles again and we're trying to put him in a chair and talk to him, I don't know if taking away TV for a day is going to fix that. I actually have my doubts. 
I'd put what would I have a problem with you doing it? No, but practical guy that I am, I wouldn't want you doing anything if it wasn't going to fix the problem, especially if you're convinced that your son already knows, and it sounds like he already does because he's not doing it most of the time, if he already knows that he's not supposed to spit at you or laugh at you when you're trying to talk with him while he's being sat in a chair when he has the wiggles. I think he knows that he's not supposed to do those things. I'd want to put most of my energy into trying to figure out how we're going to prevent your son from having the wiggles next time he's in a restaurant. And if we can't prevent that by one means or another, and it sounds like you've got an intervention that could prevent it, watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on your telephone, maybe there are lots of other solutions that would prevent the wiggles. I just don't think we want to find ourselves in the midst of the wiggles trying to come up with a solution then. I think you got much lower odds then than you do when you're in crisis prevention mode. Crisis management mode? I don't know. Crisis prevention mode? I like it better. There you have it. Let me go back to your email just to make sure I answered everything. Um, proactive, plan B. Oh, one last point. What are you going to do if you find that at this point in your son's development, he can't sit still in restaurants? Some kids can't sit still in restaurants at the age of four. They can't do it. You can do it briefly. What implications does that have for you and your husband and restaurants and your son? Um, so obviously you, you're going to want to try to come up with a solution that prevents wiggles in restaurants in the first place. The big question is, is there anything that will prevent wiggles in your son and the restaurants in the first place at this point in his development? I took my um, son to a Boston Red Sox game when he was mm, four or five years old, as I recollect, his first Red Sox game. And um, my expectation was that we would last three, four, five innings. I think we made it through two or three outs, at which point he said to me, I want to go home. What he was telling me was that uh, at that point in his development, he had a two to three out capacity for sitting at baseball games. Um, I wonder what your son's capacity is for sitting in restaurants at the age of four. Um, and if there's a way for uh, you to help him have a greater capacity... I don't think punishment's going to do it. Sounds like the best one so far is the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on your phone. And I just don't want to rule out the possibility that restaurants may not be within your son's doable range yet. And I guess I would say that when you're reading those dialogues in The Explosive Child, I'm not sure which version of The Explosive Child you have, but 
uh, don't worry too much about the age of the kid. Just worry about what Plan B is supposed to sound like and try to replicate that with your son. Thank you for emailing. Let's um, try to tackle one more before we are out of time, which we almost are. Uh, This is one that came in a very long time ago. Uh, And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Seven-year-old daughter... um, who was at who who had a similar issue for, to our caller when mom tried to do plan B with her she put her hands over her ears and said rather irritably not right now I'm playing um, mom gave me a lot of the lagging skills that her that are coming into play for her daughter and then here's the main unsolved problem that mom emailed about it says the main unsolved problem appears to be making decisions particularly ones involving food if I can get her to the empathy step without her getting too emotional, and that's a big if right now, I'm almost certain she will not be able to articulate her concern on her own. I can suggest that she's afraid that she'll be disappointed. I did tonight while she was getting upset, and it seemed to resonate with her, but I'm pretty sure she won't have any idea what we can do to solve the problem, and I don't either. So here's the main points, and this, these were the main points for our caller today as well. We want to be doing this proactively. That's number one. Then we find out. See, here's the interesting thing. If we're doing emergency plan B, there's some major impediments to getting information from the child in the empathy step. Two main impediments. Heat, as in the heat of the moment. Lots of kids who aren't able to provide much information in the empathy step of plan B when they're already hot are able to provide much more information in the empathy step of plan B when they're not. And rush is another thing that gets in the way with emergency plan B. Most of the time, we're in a hurry, and um, we're on our way somewhere. We've got places to be. Um, we, gotta, we feel like we've got to do this quickly. Neither the heat nor the rush is um, conducive to the information-gathering agenda of the empathy step of Plan B. So we want to make sure that this is proactive. Now, the other issue is um, my this, this child, seven-year-old girl, gets emotional when mom tries to do Plan B with her. The part that I can't quite tell from the email is the timing. If this is emergency plan B and the child is getting emotional, then I have one simple antidote to that, proactive plan B. That, that's the one antidote that I, can, that I would do first. Um, whenever I'm hearing that it's emergency plan B and it's not going well, I have only one piece of advice. Let's do proactive plan B and see if it goes any better. If it still isn't going better proactively, then some of the same advice that I gave our caller today would also come into play. And that is, let's make an appointment. Even though we're being proactive with our plan B, we don't want to spring the conversation on the child. We want to let her know that there's something we'd like to talk with her about. We'd like to make an appointment to do it. I know it sounds crazy 
making an appointment with a child so that we can talk to them. But I must say, when you have a challenging kid in your household, there's lots of things that you wouldn't do with a regular old kid that would sound crazy with a regular old kid, but that you would do with a challenging one in the interest of helping life go better in your household. Let's uh, and a message from one of our emailers who's listening to the program today. It says, I taught in a four-year-old nursery school. One memorable student who was extremely bright and wiggly comes to mind. We worked out picking out a favorite toy in advance, and I kept it in my pocket for the times that required him to sit quietly. He knew to get the toy out of my pocket when the wiggles develop. Thanks for your email. Thanks to all of you for listening in on today's program. One program for the year left next week, and uh, then we'll be back again in September. I hope you found today's program to be helpful. That's what this program is all about. Talk to you next week.